tonight. What a blessing it is to be gathered together with the Lord's people. Hallelujah. And Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 12. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. What then? It doesn't matter to me, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Uh, This passage tells us one of the reasons... Paul wrote the book of Philippians. There was a unique relationship between the apostle and this church at Philippi. I think it was Alexander McLaren said that uh, there was an affinity between the apostle and the church and that this church was Paul's sweetheart church. He loved them dearly. They loved him dearly. And it had been some years since they'd seen Paul. As you know, he's in prison at the moment. And they had sent Epaphroditus, one of their own, to see Paul, to see how things were going, how the gospel was progressing, given that he's in prison now, and then just to see how he's doing. And they sent a generous, gracious love offering to the Apostle Paul. That'll endear any preacher to a church. They were concerned about where he was and what was going on in his life. This letter is, this, is a response to that. And Paul wants them to understand things are all right. In fact, what he's going to say to them here is everything is all right. 
It's all right. Now, if anybody had a reason to say otherwise, Paul did. He makes reference in these verses, uh, three different occasions, to his bonds. That's the same thing as his chains. Really, the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, Paul's prison letters, you can go back to the book of Acts, pick up in Acts chapter 28, where Paul is under house arrest in Rome. He'd always wanted to go there. It had been his great passion and desire to get there to preach the gospel in imperial Rome. He got there through the back door, not the front door. He was sent as a prisoner. You read in those latter chapters of Acts how that he went through that storm and they made it by the skin of their teeth and he got there in Acts 28 and he's under house arrest. He's in chains. He's in fact chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. And for Paul, this meant a lot of discomfort. For Paul, this meant some isolation. He'd been cut off from all of his friends. He'd been cut off from all the familiar faces. It involved some poverty. He's too broke to pay attention. I heard one of the joy boys say on television one time, the reason that Paul was always in trouble with the law is because he was so wealthy and they wanted some of his money. I don't find that anywhere in the Word of God. They hated the gospel. They hated Paul. And they hated God. And that's why they were so hostile toward him. There is as well... The stigma of being identified as a criminal. I'm saying Paul had much that he could have complained about. He had much to, he could have reference to say, let's tell you right now, I've never been having it any worse. That's not what you hear out of Paul. You mix of all of that, you could also throw in how the enemy, the devil himself, I'm sure he had a lot to say to old Paul. And you see Paul there in, in prison under house arrest. And, and the enemy slips up and sits on his shoulder and said, What about it now, big boy? How about all those great evangelistic enterprises? You're on lockdown now. How much preaching are you going to get done now? What about that power of the gospel you've been telling everybody about? And what makes you think you're so special? If God loved you, you think He'd let you sit here like this? In the prime of your ministry, having so much influence already, and here you are locked up and locked down, no freedom, no mobility. Life just isn't the same as it has been for you, Paul, and it ain't going to be any different. There's a lot... That Paul could have talked about. But that's not what he talks about. Instead, as he's telling them about his personal life and his situation at the moment, he simply says to them, everything is going to be all right. I think the the sum and the meat of it is there in verse number 19. He said, for I know that this, what's he talking about? 
this imprisonment. And in verse number 12, this little phrase, the things that are happening. I was coming down the road just a few minutes ago. I know there's a superior uh, race of saints down here in Rutherford County. Up in Burke County, things happen. I mean, things happen. Things that you ain't got no control of. Things that you can't do anything about. A lot of times it's things you didn't even see coming. Things happen. And Paul lived in a world where things happen. And I got a suspicion if you're breathing tonight... You live in a world where things happen. But Paul said, here's what I got to say about every bit of it. This shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now why in the world can Paul look these people or tell these people Everything's going to be all right. Look at it. Verse number 19. In the first place, he is fully convinced. He's fully convinced of the fact that God is using this to make him a better Christian. Believe it or not, that's what God had in mind for you when he called you unto himself. It wasn't just to keep you out of hell. It was to make you a God-honoring, Christ-like believer. And when Paul talks about salvation in verse number 19, he's not talking about when you initially come to the Lord and and you get forgiveness and the burden of sin is lifted and, and, and that condemnation. He's not talking about that. All that's gone. The Bible talks about salvation in three tenses. I was saved 38 years ago when I came to Jesus and fell in an old-fashioned altar and cried out to God, beg God for mercy. And I will be saved someday in the future. God only knows. But I am being saved right now. You're being saved right now. And if you ain't being saved right now, you ain't saved. What are you talking about being saved? I'm saying God is continually renewing us and conforming us and working in us and perfecting that which concerns us to bring us up to the design that He has in mind for us as the believing people of God. And that's nothing less than to be just like the Lord Jesus. What I'm finding out... After all these years, is God ain't using all the shiny, pretty objects to get that done. God's using a lot of ugly things. God's using a lot of uncomfortable things. (laughs) I mean, look at Paul. He can't eat by himself anymore besides the fact that he's cut off from his friends. Here he is locked in with a stranger all hours of the day, 24 hours of the day, seven days a week. He can't sleep without somebody right there locked on to him. He can't eat. He can't pray. Somebody's right there attached to him. Oh, I'm telling you, that's got to be uncomfortable. 
And it doesn't matter to God how uncomfortable God's got to make us in order to shape us and to make us into His image and to build into our lives Christ's likeness. Oh, brother, that's what God has in mind. And I want to tell you, He's going to do it till you get out of here. It doesn't matter how much God's got to embarrass us to push us to God. It doesn't matter how much God's got to hurt us to push us to God. It doesn't matter how much we got to be wounded to be pushed to God and to seek His face. Paul said, I know this shall turn to my salvation. Don't you love to hear a man talk like this? I know. Look up how many times Paul is confident and certain. Preacher already mentioned about how uncertain these hours are. Everybody's walking around scratching their head, wondering what in the world's going to happen next. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen next. Jesus is going to be Lord. And when the dust settles and the smoke clears, there'll be one lone figure standing on the horizon of time and all of eternity. And it'll be God, it'll be the Lord Jesus having His way and saying it's been exactly like I wanted it to be. God isn't trying to do anything. He's doing it. Amen? God isn't hoping anything's going to happen. It's getting done. He accomplishes His purposes. Doing all things after the counsel of His own will. And the glorious thing about it, being a believer, is that you and I have entered into the eternal purposes of God. All things are working together for good to them that love God. Who is that crowd? Not that crowd that just stands and says, I love Jesus. But it's that crowd that's been called according to His purpose. That's who it's working good for. Thank God every time a mosquito bites you, it's for good. Amen? All things work together for good. Paul may be on lockdown, but he writes the church at Philippi and he says the gospel is not on lockdown. He said it's being furthered. It's gone further and it's going in ways and in places and touching people. He said, I never envisioned for it to touch. In chapter number four, before it's over with, Here's what Paul said to the church at Philippi in case you're wondering what's going on. He said, all of the saints in Caesar's household say hello. Yes, sir. Saints in Caesar's household? Yes. What do you mean? That's up there in the mansion, the White House. Yes, sir. Yes. Up there in the White House. All that secret first service been locked up with old Paul. He's been a preaching to him. And they've been getting born again and going back to the White House and checking in and saying, God has changed my life. That old humpback, half blind, nearly crazy preacher locked up over there. You wouldn't believe what all he talks about. God was saving that crowd and changing them. Filling the palace with believers. He's convinced God is molding him and shaping him and building his life. The second thing you'll notice, verse number 19, everything's going to be all right, Paul says, because somebody's praying. And God answers prayer. (laughs) 
Somebody's praying. He said, I know this shall turn to my salvation. Look at this now. Through your prayer, because you've been praying for me. Oh, isn't that blessed? I love that old hymn in our hymn book, I Need the Prayers of Those I Love. Oh, God. I'm going to tell you, you ain't going to get that down at Walmart. Are you listening? You ain't going to get that down at Six Flags, and you ain't going to get it up at the ball field. You ain't going to get it probably down at work. A lot of times you ain't even going to get it home. But I'm glad God's got a group of people in this world called the church. The church that's been redeemed, bought with the blood of Jesus. And they've got a new nature inside of them. And that nature's called the spirit of adoption. Everybody God saves, they pray. You ever heard somebody talk about old brother so-and-so? He's a praying Christian. What other kind is there? What other kind is there? As sure as there's a living human being that breathes, a believer is a praying person. The first thing they said about old Paul when he made a profession, it wasn't that he got religion and he's going to church now. You know what they said about him? Behold, he prayeth. That old boy's talking to God now. He's crying out to God. He's hungered for God. Why? Paul said, there's been given unto us the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba is a Hebrew word. It means Papa. It means daddy. And it doesn't require any teeth to say it. It's an infant's word. Brother, you get born again like a belch before you even realize it. Something's coming out of you and you're calling on God. You're talking to God. God becomes real to you. Heaven becomes real to you. Prayer is a part of your life. Paul said everything's going to be all right up in here in Rome. Wherever you're at and with all of us because somebody's praying and God answers prayer. James said, pray one for another. Oh, and Paul said in Ephesians 5, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You know, about the only time you get prayed for in the average Baptist church is you got to get sick. There's more than physical issues, brother. There's some folks waddled in here tonight that's a little bit hopeless. There's infirmities of the soul. There's sicknesses of the spirit where we get cold and indifferent. And we get distant from the gospel. And we get distant from the old hugged cross. But oh, God heals all our soul's diseases. Ought to pray for God's man. Amen. Verse 19, Ephesians 5, Paul said, And for me, not just for the saints, but for me. Why? That utterance may be given unto me. God plug him in. God make the words easy. 
God, let him preach to my poor heart. God, let him preach to my young'uns. God, let him pull back the curtain of eternity and let me see a living Lord. That's what preaching does. Oh, hear me tonight. Paul's prayer is that you would pray for me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Churches that have better preachers, if preachers had better churches, they'd pray for them. I'm going to say that again because you didn't get it. I can tell in your eyeballs. Churches that have better preachers, if preachers had better churches, they'd pray for them. Amen! Somebody asked Spurgeon after 38 years of ministry, he said in his own autobiography, it was just a harvest. God just gave a harvest, 38 years, 500 souls being baptized every year. Baptized, not just additions, baptisms. That's a God thing. God doesn't have to do that for everybody. God doesn't do that for everybody. He's sovereign. (laughs) Amen? He's sovereign. The wind blows where it listeth. They asked him, said Spurgeon, what's the reason for all this that's happened around here? He didn't wait one second, didn't flinch, didn't hesitate. He said, my people pray for me. Every service, literally hundreds of people in the basement of that tabernacle. 6,000 souls above them. And they're down there crying on God, God help our preacher. God touch our preacher. God fill him with the Holy Ghost. Help him to exalt Jesus. Oh, and Paul said, listen, the reason everything's going to be all right up here in Rome and the reason God's doing more than we could have ever imagined And Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 1, one of my favorite texts. He said, you're also helping by praying. Been a lot of times I've talked to people through the years and they got things that are going on, issues. Somebody turn, my hand's too wet, I couldn't get that open or either I'm too weak, brother. Thank you. You mountaineer didn't do it, did you? You ain't been chopping wood either, have you? <laughs> have you? Listen, how many times has somebody come to the preacher and said, Preacher, talk about all that's going on. We feel so helpless and all you can just say to them is I'm praying to you. And you think that's just so small and insignificant. But, brother, I want to tell you, there ain't nothing no better you can do for anybody and pray for them. Carry them to God. Carry them to God. Take it down to the house of God and make your request known and beg God's people, join me in prayer. Pray for my children. Pray for my family. Pray for my health. Pray for my spirit. Pray for my mind. Paul said everything's going to be all right because somebody's praying and God answers prayer and most importantly is the Lord Jesus is praying. I want to tell you something. He still is working in our behalf. It isn't just what he did 2,000 years ago that's making a difference for me tonight. It's what he's doing right now at this throbbing moment at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's representing folks. He's interceding. He's pleading our case. The enemy 
Jesus said to old Simon, He said, Simon, Satan's desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. That's his intention, isn't it? To destroy, to injure, to break down, to divide, to harm, to consume. Satan's desired that he may have you, that he may sift you, run you through a stump grinder. But he said, Simon, you don't have to sweat it, buddy. I've prayed for you. <laughs> I've prayed for you. <laughs> what that means is the enemy, the enemy can't do anything to you and me unless he gets divine permission. It was that way with Job, wasn't it? Huh? You come before the Lord. Y'all hang on, I ain't been preaching long, so just rest a minute here. He come before God. God, listen. God brought it up. God brought it up. It wasn't the enemy that come and said, "What about that old boy Job?" It was God who initiated the conversation about Job. And He said, "Have you considered my servant Job?" The devil scratched his head. Well, you know I have. He said, I've looked him up one side and down the other. How do you know that? Because the devil said, you've put a hedge about him. He's been trying to find a breakdown in that panel. He's been trying to find a glitch. He's trying to find a, a fracture. He's trying to find an opening. And a, listen, I'm hell-proof tonight. And I'm devil-proof tonight. All because of the shed blood of the cross. The Lord Jesus is praying. Old McShane said if we could hear our Lord Jesus praying for us in the other room, He said we'd never have a worry and we'd never fear a million armies. And he said the difference makes no difference. He is praying for us. Somebody's praying. Look at what else Paul said here in verse number 19. It's going to be alright not only... Because he believes God's at work in his life and not only is somebody praying and God answers prayer, but Paul says in verse 19, he's getting exactly what he needs for the situation from the Holy Ghost. Look at it. I know. Thank God. Does this sound like a man that's ready to throw in a towel? Does this sound like a man that's saying gloom, despair, and agony on me? Don't look religious at me. You know exactly where that come from. You may not. You're not old enough yet. Go get that channel, that Time Life channel. They have them reruns of Hee Haw. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Y'all remember that? That old boy laying back over there. Deep, dark depression. Excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. (laughs) Gloom, despair, and agony on me. That is not what Paul's saying. No, he's ten million worlds beyond that. Why? Because God, the Holy Ghost, knows exactly where Paul is. And he's getting what he needs from God, the Holy Ghost. 
through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. What he means by that is the overflowing, superabundant portion of the Holy Ghost that's running in on his life. Amen. God's Holy Ghost will fix you and me up for the hour. Huh? Paul's cut off from everybody, but the Holy Ghost can get to him. Huh? He knows his name. He knows where he's at. And he knows exactly what he needs and everything we need. Listen for the journey between here and we put foot on the sunny banks of sweet deliverance. Yes. Hear me tonight. God has put it in the hands of the Holy Ghost for you and me to make it to the city. There's no shortage. Thank God in heaven tonight. COVID's cut everything off. I don't believe half of that. Huh? You can't get a hamburger. Can't get a Happy Meal because of COVID. Bless God, Chick-fil-A won't even do well done fries anymore because of COVID. I've been fouled up for a year. Huh? I've been wondering. <laughs> oh, Lord, hear me tonight. But I'm glad there's divine resources coming out of heaven for your life, for our life, for a world like we're living in tonight. There's more to be had than most of us are getting. Huh? There's a whole lot of coming out of heaven tonight. This is the day of Pentecost. People talk about it 2,000 years ago. It ain't never been retracted, brother. It ain't never been called back. It was inaugurated at Pentecost. And it's about here, right here along this time, ain't it? 50 days after Easter. Hallelujah. It ain't never been retracted. God's Spirit's still here. Equipping you and me. And enabling us and filling us with what we need for the journey. Power and joy and victory and wisdom and thank God for the love of the Spirit. Don't you love that? The love of the Spirit. I love where there's things in circulation. You're going to access it among God's people. That's where you're going to get it. Huh? If you want to see the shepherd, you find the sheep. That's where shepherd shows up around the sheep. It ain't there around them bunch of hogs out yonder. He hangs around the sheep. He'll show up. Amen. And make himself known. The little Shulamite said to the, the shepherd, said, Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest where you make your flock to rest at noonday? And he said, follow the footsteps of the flock. Just get right on in behind the sheep where they're headed to because they're coming right toward me. And that's where the shepherd is. Hallelujah. Not only what the Spirit of God's given, but just the fact of the gift of the Spirit of God. The supply is in having the Holy Ghost. Jesus left us in the hands of the Spirit of God. He said, I'm out of here, boys, but I'm going to leave you in good hands. And He said the Holy Ghost is going to take everything. 
Everything. Now what did Jesus have? He said He's going to take everything that's mine. What did Jesus have? Huh? I'm going to tell you right now, if you ever get anything from God's Holy Ghost, it's going to be more than dead religion. Make you look like your driver's license all your life. Walking around. Huh? No! Jesus, the Bible said, all the fullness of God dwells in Him. And Jesus said, everything that I am and I have. He said, He's going to take up mine and show it unto you. And tie it into your life. There's enough in the Holy Ghost to keep us going. Enough to help us out. Enough to lead us on. And enough to see us through. That's the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Let me hurry up. I need to quit. This phone ain't too smart. 30 minutes in. Y'all all right? Ought to be cool now. Hallelujah. Your sons went down. Huh? Thank God. Look at this. Here's the last thing. Everything's going to be all right. God's working in my life through this, Paul said. Making me what He wants me to be. Hallelujah. The old children song, He's still working on me. No, no, no. He's still working in me. He's still working in me of God ever. I love this. God have mercy. Because there's so many times I can't crank it up. I can't whoop it up. Huh? Have you ever been there? You can't get it up? But thank God there's something on the inside that'll get up. When you can't get up, it's the life of God. The triumphant life of a resurrected Lord. He's still working in me. Somebody's praying. Getting what I need from the Spirit of God. Glory. Paul says something else here in verse number 20. You know what he says? He says it's going to be alright because the Lord always gets glory to Himself. You can mark it down. Look at it. According to my earnest expectation. Well, you know what that means? That, that word means that Paul's straining to look. Straining to see something. Turning in a certain direction from everything else. He's learned enough about God to know that God never makes any apologies. God ain't got to apologize to you about being born red-headed. My littlest girl several years ago was at McDonald's. She always liked McDonald's, eat and play. Somebody who ever thought of that, I'm sure they've been wealthy many times. And she was in there playing in the play area and I was eating with just me and her. She'd go play and come back and eat and mess with her little Happy Meal. And she was sitting there. And she got that box, looked at that box, and I, I knew it. I knew it. She looked at that box, and she looked up at me. She looked back down at that box. And she looked up at me. I said, don't you even say it. <laughs> God ain't got to apologize about you being fat. 
being tall, being bald, being skinny, being born in North Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, or Zimbabwe. God ain't got to apologize for nothing. Why? He's always going to get glory to himself. When you fold into the will of God, Yield to God and trust God and submit to God. God will take every bit of it and make it the part of the weaving of the fabric of a meaningful and a purposeful life. Huh? Hallelujah. God's taking it all. Not just the good things, but the bad things. Not just the gold and the silver in the pattern that He's the plan, but the dark threads. Those dark threads. God, them things that come rushing in that you don't want. Huh? That's the materials that God uses to get glory to Himself through you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Paul said, I'm looking for it because I know that's what he does and I've seen it so many times. My earnest expectation. About every day at 3 o'clock, I can stand at the window and look. You know why? That little postcard's going to come right by. Uh, stop. Uh, done it too many times for me not to look for it. Are you listening? God's done it too many times to not look for the glory of God in your situation. Too many times. Let me tell you something. You can put it down, brother. The enemy does not have the last word in your life. He ain't got the last word. He'll show up, he'll pop up, he'll bounce in here and there. But I'm going to tell you who's got the last word about old Stacy Lane. Bless God, it ain't the Baptist. I said it ain't the Baptists, it ain't the Methodists, it ain't North Carolina, it ain't the Republicans, the Democrats, it ain't none of them. It ain't the enemy. It ain't the enemy. God has the last word. Why? I'm His property. By blood, I'm His. You think he's going to turn over what he's paid so much for? Let the enemy get the least little bit of glory out of your life? Let the enemy gloat over you? You think he's going to let the enemy gloat over you? No, brother, you better read your Bible. What did he say to Mary and Martha when they're standing over there by the tomb of Lazarus? He said, didn't I tell you that if you'd believe, you'd see the glory of God? What do you mean the glory of God? He's dead. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was simply saying, if you'll believe, you're going to see what I can do in this situation. Not what the enemy and not what death can do. You write it down wherever you're at tonight, whatever's killing you, whatever's ripped your guts out, what's got you stumbling, I mean broke down into pieces, emaciated. Whatever it is that's pulverized you, let me tell you something tonight. It ain't over till God gets in the picture. 
It ain't over till God gets in the picture. No picture's complete, complete till God gets in the picture. And the resurrection and life stepped into that situation. And it wasn't death that had the final word. And it wasn't the devil that had the final word. When it was all said and done, all they could see was Jesus. God in action. Hallelujah. I'm through. Y'all were through ten minutes ago. Let me give you this. I need a swig. I'll drink to that. Thank God. <laughs> Listen. One of my favorites is old um, William Cowper, Cooper, however you want to pronounce him. Uh, he wrote that song about the blood. What's that? Which one is that? I think it's, I can't get it in my head. There's another one he wrote. And he wrote it after a real horrible experience. He was a manic depressive. He'd been having a lot of issues, and he, he decided he was going to take his own life. So he went down to one of the bridges in London, all in bridges, and he went down to one he's going to jump off, jump in the water, kill himself. And he looked down there. He saw some kids out on the riverbank playing, and he couldn't bring himself to do it. So he went back home. He went up in the attic. <clears throat> and he tied a rope around the rafter, around his neck, stood on a chair and jumped down, and the rope broke. So he went over and grabbed a sword over in the side, fixed that sword, thrust his body down on the sword, the sword broke. But long after that, he's crying out to God, and here's what God gave him. So him. God moves in mysterious ways His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the seas and He rides upon the storm. He said, deep and unfathomable minds of never failing skill, He treasures up His bright designs and works His sovereign will. He said, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, there is a smiling face. He said, ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. Here it is. Are you ready? Come here. Try this on. He said, ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds that you so much dread. Why, he said, they're big with mercy. And they'll break with blessings on your head. <laughs> it's going to be all right, brother. It's going to be all right. I'm telling you, thank God.